Welcome to the Harrison Faith Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor Brian Herring. It's our prayer. This message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Well, we are so glad you're here today. You are in for quite a treat. And uh, before I, I introduce our guest, I want to say happy birthday to my dad who's here today. Today's his birthday. And uh, glad he's here. Drove all the way from Texas just so he could be here. And then Bob and Sherry Fant, we're so glad to have you guys today. I'm, we're so blessed to have you here. Pastors for a long time, and now they're retired, and we're glad to have them here. Uh, they've obviously, I guess, known uh, Dave for a long time. Well, if you've never heard of ever of Dave Reaver, you're, you are in for such a blessing today. Um, him and his team are so humble, and they're so gracious for everything. But uh, I tell you, we just, I just enjoy spending time with him. Uh, years of experience in ministry, ministering to not only congregations like you, but to wounded vets, to uh, couples that are going through uh, very difficult times. Their ministry goes far and vast, and I'm not going to steal all his thunder to tell you. And we'll have a chance to give to his ministry at the end of the service. But we're glad you're here today. And so I know you came to hear him and not me today. So if you'll give a warm Harrison Faith welcome to Dave Reaver. Thank you. You're so kind. Thank you, folks. I am just thrilled to be here. What a treat to hear such great music. You guys don't know what you've gotten until you've traveled around like I do, and you hear some of the stuff that goes on in church. Oh, Lord. When they start out with, y'all pray for us while we try to sing, <laughs> they start singing and I start praying. It's bad. <laughs> you have great music. I truly enjoyed it. Pastor Fant, you and your precious wife are so dear to me. It means the world that you would come. And with me also is some very, very dear friends that have been dear to me for many years. Actually, was our chief pilot for our corporate airplane for years. And uh, I'm so glad to have you here. Thetty, you just, you never age, girl. You just stay always young. 39 forever. Amen. Thanks for coming, guys. Um, I had my grandson with me and uh, our current pilot. Would you guys stand? This is my grandson. And these are great, great folks. Both of them flew me up here. Uh, Strip, thanks, buddy. I'm glad you came today. You fit right in with that beard, man. Everybody here. They, 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 this is a bearded brother, brotherhood. Uh, I'm going to sit down to speak to you today. I, I hope that doesn't seem disrespectful. But in 2010, I was in Iraq, and I jumped out of a helicopter, and I hit wrong. My feet went out from under me so quick on the sand, I broke six vertebrae and was paralyzed my left leg for two years. I remember when I just knew it was the Lord, I took off that brace, took my first step, and fell right on my face. So I put the brace back on in the name of Jesus <laughs> and waited a few months, tried again, same results, but third time, and they say third time's a charm, well, we don't believe in charms, but... Uh, third time I was able to walk, but stairs are a little difficult for me, and so I'd have a little help, and I can't stand very long. So thank you for letting me sit. Enough said about that. Uh, we live in very difficult times, don't we? I mean, there's some strange things going on. But before I go a step further, I want to look at this front 
Do you realize what's on the front row of this church? You're young people. They're usually in the balcony, spit wads and notes and feet on the chair in front of them, not listening. But this crowd, this church, these young people on the front row, I, I respect you, kids. Thank you. That is beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, th these are difficult times, I started to say, and there's a lot of uncertainty in the world today. And my, I would like to present a, a time of ministry to you today that will reflect on the way I see things in light of my personal experience. And that's going to require your grace today because I'm going to use myself as a lot of examples. And I don't want you to think that I can't speak without talking about me. But today I will be the illustration of my own message, all right? I can tell you what God did for Peter, James, and John, or Peter, Paul, and Mary for all that. <laughs> that that's old. Forget it. But in doing so, uh, I, I, I beg your patience because I will speak of what God did for me. It's a little more meaningful when you speak of the personal relationship with Christ than what he did for someone else. Now, I am a great believer in the Word of God. In fact, I'm on my third time through it from Genesis to Revelation since January. I can't get enough of it. Every morning I wake up for two to three hours minimum. I'm with the Lord and the Word and praise and worship. But I'm going to tell you, what God did for me is more important to me than what he did for John or for Peter. This is a personal relationship with Christ. And if you're a guest here today and you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, don't leave. Stay cool. It's going to be a great time together, I promise you. But it's going to have to require a little of your patience. And um, there's one thing I do want to say and, and set it aside. Uh, do you believe in fighting for what you believe in? Amen? You believe in fighting for what is worth giving your life for? Standing for what you love the most? Uh, I still stand for the flag. And I don't want to be offensive, but then I really don't give a rip. I'm going to stand for the flag because I fought for that flag. Thank you. And if someone finds the flag offensive, get over it, go bleed for it, fight for it, and serve under that flag and see what you respect, how you respect it then. People that are denying the, the, symbol, the symbolism of that flag in liberty have never fought for the liberty that flag symbolizes. The flag is just fabric, ink, stitches, but let's, let's get down to what it means. It's red, white, and blue for those that have suffered and bled for us to sit in this room and speak openly without fear of being executed for our faith so far. But it's at great risk today. And I'm going to tell you, I believe in fighting for what I believe in. I believe in fighting for my country. I would give my life for my country, and I have the scars to prove it. I believe in fighting for my family. I believe in standing for my my beliefs of family. In fact, from the very beginning, I had to fight for my family. My wife, uh, I, I met her when I was 16. I asked her to marry me, and she slapped me. She was 13. <laughs> and she told me, she said, I'm only 13 years old. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. <laughs> she slapped me again. We had a rough start. But she said, if you love me, You'll wait for me. And I want these young people to hear me. I know it sounds a little awkward in church, but we were both virgin when we married. 54 years later, still not virgin, still married. Uh, thought I'd get that straight right quick. 
But I had to fight for her because whenever I went off to war, she worked for Allstate Insurance. Say Allstate. I know you heard me. Great company. They have the good hands. Remember that? You're in good hands. <laughs> she worked for Allstate, and her coworker wanted to get her in his good hands. And um, he knew I was in war. He knew I was on the other side of the world. He knew she was married to me. She wore the ring, and everybody knew she was married. He still tried to date my wife. I got even with that sucker. <laughs> I buy State Farm. Yep, I got even with him. And then after I was injured, of all things, my medic tried to take my wife away from me. My medic at Brook Army Medical Center, where I was a patient for a year and two months. Now, 50 years later, I'm still a patient with 60 surgeries, still trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. It's had a rough start. My medic tried to take my wife away from me. I found out, and I got even with him. Yes, I did. In the intensive care unit one night, I intentionally hyperventilated. I set off all the alarms, and he came to see what was wrong, and I mumbled real quietly, and he got his ear down real close to hear what I was saying, and I bit him. <laughs> I did, I, it's all I had was my teeth. I bit him right on the ear, and I, between my clenched teeth, I said, you touch her, and I'll kill you. <laughs> what am I going to do, choke him to death with the hose that's in my nose? How am I going to defend him, defend myself? He was so frightened, he never came back. He transferred off that words last time I saw him. This won't take much longer. But I, you got to fight for what you believe in, right? Then the third guy, when I got out of the hospital, I went to Tarrant County Junior College. My wife and I were trying to pick up where we had left off in college, and her professor brought her flowers. I thought the student brought the apple. No, the professor brought flowers to my wife trying to take her. I never met him. But he saw me one day, and I only had one eye and one ear and one nostril. This was smooth skin, no hair, no ear, nothing. I, wouldn't put, I had all these parts. I didn't have any of them. Then he saw me and thought, whoa, if he survived, the other guy didn't, and he didn't want to be that other guy. <laughs> Never messed with her again, no more flowers. And then finally the fourth guy, and he was different from all the others because he really, she was very beautiful. But he loved her for other reasons, I guess. I, he... He really did love her, and, and he, he made promises to her that even I couldn't keep and gave her gifts that I couldn't even afford. And she left with him. She took off with him, but I got his name and I got his address. His name is Jesus. And he took her to a place called heaven. And I hope every one of you kids will remember love lasts forever. And when you say I do, it's not I will until it's inconvenient. It's I do until death do us part. Hang in there, kid. Marry in the family of God and love each other for the rest of your lives. Be faithful and fight for what you believe in. Amen. And now, listen, don't worry. I'm not emotional. I'm allergic to this carpet that got my eyes all watered up, and I'm fine. But I just want to get that out of the way because some of my friends are here, and they're wondering how I'm doing, and I'm doing fine. 
and the last few months have been very difficult because I never faced life without my lover and my sweetheart since I was a teenager. But I'm good, and I've never been so busy in the kingdom, never loved it so much, and never worked this hard. And I'm good. So until I'm reunited with her, I'm going to keep on going as though she's still here. I'm going to keep on going as though nothing changed because the love of God never fails. It never changes. It's always there. Young people, are you with me? Say amen. amen. Good. Some of you were older. I heard that. I want to read a scripture for you and kind of set the pattern or pace for what I want to say to you. If you have your iPhones, turn. Now that right there is funny. I don't care who you are. I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and if I could, verse 3, the last one, two, three, four, the last five words of verse 3, really those last five words of verse 3 are an introduction to verse 4. The last five words are this, the God of all comfort, say that with me, the God of all comfort, verse 4, who comforteth us in all not some of, most of, or lots of, but all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any, you name it, we got it covered, any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So God comforts us that we can in turn comfort others. Well, it's really important before we figure out what that scripture means, to figure out what that word means, say comfort. A lot of folks think that means feeling sorry, pity somebody. Uh, I'm going to set a little, little background for you to understand my point of view. When my mom gave birth to the first two children, she did fine. But I'm the last, and I'm number three. And when I was born, she almost died. And she never recovered. And she died after many, many years, curled up in a fetal position in a nursing home, fed through a tomb at 68 pounds, her little house surrendered the occupant, and that soul went to be with Jesus. I never knew a day of my childhood, even into adulthood, that I never knew one day of having a mother that was well, not one day. When I was born, she couldn't even hold me, couldn't feed me. It damaged her body so badly. I had a Mexican nanny, Maria Rubio. She taught me how to roll my R's. And my first language was Spanish. I didn't speak English until I was six years old and had to learn English to go to school. Then they told me I was not a Mexican, which blew my Hispanic mind because I thought I was. And I had to be comforted because they said I cried for weeks because I was not the Mexican. I thought I was. Now, Self-discovery is a very, very difficult time in our lives. For Simon Peter, it happened when he said to Jesus, after Jesus said to him, he said, and to the disciples, Peter, James, John, he said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. Remember that story? And Peter said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. Hey, cool it. You're talking to Peter here. If you ever need anything, just call me, 1-800-P-E-T-E-R. I'll be right there. And Jesus said, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me thrice. And Peter said, though all, that includes Pastor Brian, that includes you, that includes me. Though all forsake you, yet not I, Simon Peter, will never forsake you. But the job of a servant girl and the crowing of a rooster, boy, that's pretty cheap pay. He denied 
Jesus Christ. To his face virtually because he got through saying, I am not one of his. And then he even used a little bit of cursing. It's amazing how good cursing will convince people you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And he cursed. And when he did, he looked and Jesus was standing right there. You ever been talking about somebody and they walk up on you? It can be a little embarrassing, amen? And Peter wept bitter tears, the Bible says. He sat down on the porch, put his chin in his hands, tears dripped through his fingers. And that moment of self-discovery was the most embarrassing moment in Simon Peter's life when he found out he wasn't the man he thought he was. It's amazing how when we come in contact with Jesus, the things that we thought were so important don't seem to matter anymore when you realize what he paid for us and the price he paid. That's why I have a built-in appreciation for things that have sacrificed behind it, like the flag and more than ever, the cross, because I know what it took for Christ to be the sacrifice. I don't know his suffering. I've, I'm not Christ, but I am the body of Christ. We are. Amen? Amen? Come on, stay with me. Don't get too quiet because then I think well, I'm with the dead in Christ and I'm not. We're alive in Christ. Say amen. amen. Give the Lord a clap offering in his house. Come on, let me hear it. Give the Lord a clap offering. I want to hear some saints say yes, amen. Say yes, amen. Here's what's important for you to discover about comfort. You got to understand comfort. It is not pobrecito, which is Spanish for poor little boy, or pobrecita, poor little girl. Listen to what comfort is. Persuasive discourse. What did I just do? I got you to clap your hands and say, yay, amen, virtually. Persuasive discourse, stirring address, to be instructive, to give admonition, powerful oratory. That's what comfort is. Now, let me show you something. I'm going to take a minute, then I'm going to get into what I think I can illustrate better through my own life than I can through the life of someone else. Whenever you're injured in the military, you're, taking, you're taken into a hospital, and then doctors get together, and they have a review board of your injury. And according to the damage done to your body, they give you a percentage of disability. Are you thinking with me now? They take you off the horse. They take you off the tank. They take you out of the airplane. Take you off, in my case, take you off the riverboat in the Battle of Vietnam. And they put you on a stretcher. And then they, they literally took tape measure. And they, they measured for square inches of scar tissue that I would be left with. And parts that don't work. Now, there's a picture somewhere of... George Washington, I have, I've seen, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's an artist's concept of George Washington help a wounded soldier back on his horse. Not taking him off the horse, but putting him back on the horse. Now, today's military doesn't put you back on the horse if you're wounded. They take you off the horse. They put you on the stretcher. And then they take square inch of damaged tissue and eyelids that don't work, ears that are blown off. Lips that are gone. Now, you're, you see, I'm pointing to things that are there. Well, it's there. It's plastic. Or it was just replaced. For instance, four and a half, almost five years ago, they made my nose. Pastor Fant knows me. Uh, 
my, my chief pilot knows me, Vance Bertel. He remembers, they remember I had only this piece of a, this piece of a nose right here, this, little, this one side. They made me a nose. I have both. They, it's a boy. <laughs> I'm so proud of my nose. You say, what? Well, how, you take your nose off of it and be gone with it 48 years. See how you feel when you get it. You're so proud of it. Eyelids, that Vance remembers high altitude. My eyelids would dry out so bad. My eye, my eye would dry because I had no eyelids. I couldn't blink. And I had to tape it shut at night. And it was very painful. And an ear blown up. Now, they made me eyelids, lips, and nose, but I said, leave the ear alone. I like my plastic one better. I was preaching in Jamaica one night when it fell off. I knew something was wrong. It just slipped off. I didn't know it fell off. I'm, it was laying on my shoulder. And I, out there, the, the, this is the crowd. <laughs> Big eyed, sucking air like a hoover, covering their mouth, pointing at me. Well, I checked my fly. Man's got to do what a man's got to do, right? My fly is fine. I look around, and I see my ear laying on my shoulder. I picked it up, dried the sweat, stuck it back on. I thought it got better. It got worse. They thought it was a miracle, and they all got saved. And that is a true story. So just leave my ear alone. I have more fun with a plastic one than you've ever had with a real one. I promise you that. I'm going to leave one here and listen to what y'all say about me when I'm gone. That's what I'm going to do. So all this damage, they added up. For instance, each finger, these fingers don't work. All these fingers and thumb were blown off. These three were hanging by tendons. This thumb was hanging by tendons. It was swirling back and forth. I was pumping blood out of an open artery. I'll explain why and how in a moment, but just stick with me a second. You've got to understand what this is all about before I get to the story I want to share with you. Each finger had a disability attached to it. I don't remember each percentage, but the, the more important the finger, the higher the percentage. For instance, that thumb was an incredibly high percentage. Because without a thumb, you got no opposing grip. So high percentage for each finger. The only finger that did not get a percentage was the only one that works. And they said, after they added up all of my disabilities, no lips, no eyelids, no ear, no hair. Now, I got my hair back. I bought it. It's, it's not mine. It is mine. I bought it. <laughs> but it belonged to someone else first. He was an old guy in China. Not everything out of Wuhan was bad, I can tell you that. <laughs> That was a bad joke. I don't mind the hairpiece. I just hate chasing it across windy parking lots on Sunday. It's really embarrassing. All this added up. You know what my percentage? Now, forgive me again for speaking of myself, but I've got to have an illustration. My percentage, according to the Veterans Administration of Disability, I'm 240% disabled. What? That's almost twice and a half not. Now, the Navy said, oh, you can't be 240% anything. You're 100% disabled, so they only give me retirement pay for 100%. Where's the justice in that? They said, but 100% plus the fact permanent and total disability and unemployable. That's all bad news. You ready for a little comfort? Are you? Here's the comfort. See these fingers that don't work? Take a look here. It's a mic stand. And look here. A preaching finger. 
Now watch, put them together. Repent. I have a job. I'm employable. I'm an evangelist. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So is it all about me? No. Here's what it's all about. Don't let the world tell you what God says you are. Don't let them tell you you're not. Don't let the world give you a name. Don't let the world identify you. When they say no, you say yes. When they say you can't, you say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't let the world stick a name on you of loser when you're a winner through Jesus Christ. Do you believe me, kiddos? Put your hands together. It's not about me. It's about him, you see? So with that said, I just want to move forward. Get off your stretcher. Get off your stretcher. Get back on your horse. When this COVID thing hit, people panicked. Mask. And listen, you pay attention to what I'm about to say to you. If anybody has the right to tell you of fear of COVID, it should be me. I lost my sweet little darling wife after almost 54 years of marriage. The only girl I ever loved, the only girl I ever kissed. Let me tell you something. I have every reason to be fearful. I'll wear the mask when they say I'll get the whatever vaccine if that helps. Here's the point. I will not live in fear. I will walk by faith and not live in fear. The last hope, this scared, terrified little world we live in, the last hope is the church. We're the salt of the earth. We're the light. Do you hear me? The salt, don't let it lose its savor. It means we make the world taste better. We're the preservative agent that keeps this thing from falling apart till Jesus comes. Then he that letteth will let until we're taken out of the way. And when we're gone, this thing goes to pot overnight. We're the last hope of the world. Don't give them a, don't give them a body of Christ that's running around scared. We are alive in Christ. Amen. Come on, church. We're alive in Christ. We're the hope of the world. So don't let the world stick a label on you. And I remember the day I kissed that little teenage girl goodbye to go to war. I had already been told. And by the way, I was in the Navy. I was being drafted into the Army. I didn't have a choice. It wasn't even one of those lottery things. Uncle Sam said, I want you, and I had to go take a physical. The letter told me to go. I wrote back and told them, well, thank you for inquiring about my health, but I feel all right. And they insisted I show up to prove it. And my trigger finger worked. And they said, you passed your physical. And they told me I was going to be inducted in the Army the next morning at 8.30. Don't be offended when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. I didn't go back the next morning at 8.30 to be sworn in. I went down and joined the Navy. Because I didn't want to go in the Army. They might hurt me, so I joined the Navy. You ever get up one morning and have a bad decade? I joined the Navy, and I thought they'll put me on a, on a battleship or aircraft carrier somewhere in the South China Sea. I'll be safe. I've never been on a ship. They put me on a little fiberglass riverboat in the middle of the jungles of Vietnam and used us as bait. The enemy would shoot at us so the army could find out where the enemy was. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but it sounded good. <laughs> I trained under a U.S. Navy SEAL commander. I ran eight miles. You ever see a fat boy run eight miles? I was still jiggling 15 minutes after we were through running. <laughs> I was this little soft preacher's kid, never had a black eye, never had a fight, never saw my parents fight. What, my dad's going to hit my mother in a wheelchair? I don't think so. I never had a problem at home. Never, ever. I go in the military and they make me run. Fat boys should not run. 
I lost so much weight, I had to tease the hair on my legs to keep my socks up. I mean, I was thin and gaunt. My wife said, you're not half the man you were. <laughs> that was a joke. <laughs> Never mind. And then they sent me to Vietnam as a brown water black beret. They made two movies about us. One was called Apocalypse Now, and the other was called Acts of Valor. Those two movies were about boat team guys and Navy SEALs. We were put together symbiotically. I was not a SEAL. I was a brown water black beret. Today we're called special boat teams. And all the training, and they never told me how to say goodbye to Brenda. We were freshly married, newlyweds, in love, and then they told me we had the highest killed in action per capita of anybody in the war. Highest KIA. Now, you can't prove that, and here's why. When our boats, which were made of fiberglass, were hit by B-40 anti-tank rocket-propelled grenades, those boats just turned to white powder and sank what was left of the engines, and with it went down the boys that were on them. And if they don't retrieve a body, even though they know you're dead, you're not KIA, you're MIA, missing in action. So whenever you look at the records, it doesn't show we were killed in action. We were missing in action when they don't get a body. But they told us the rest of the story, Paul Harvey, for all you older folks. And the rest of the story is there's a great, greater possibility you will not come back or not come back the way you left. That is to say, you'd come back maimed. When I kissed my little junior high school sweetheart goodbye at the airport, I had every reason to believe that, believe that would be the last time I would taste the salt of her tears on those beautiful lips. It would be the last time I would hold that precious girl in my arms. And when I turned to walk away, I was proud of myself, if I can say it that way, that I had not whipped. I didn't cry. I wanted to be strong for her. I took five steps when she called my name. Davy. I stopped and before I could turn around, that name, Davy, that term of endearment, if she had said David, I would just gone to the nearest corner and stand there because I knew I was in trouble. She said, Davy. And before I could turn around, tears were on my face, angry at myself. I said, what? Listen to what she asked me. It still haunts me to this day. Are you coming back? Ask any war veteran in this room. He'll tell you, she'll tell you the same thing. You have to consider, are you coming back? When Jesus ascended into heaven, he promised them something they needed to know. I'm coming back again. I'm coming back. Well, I said it to my little teenage wife. I said, baby, I'll be back. Then I added something I don't know where it came from. Without a scar. I could have just said, I'll be back. Then I could be governor of California. No, and if you didn't understand that, forget it. It's too old. Something like a chill went up my spine when I said I'll be back without a scar. And I believe it was God's way of telling me, you just made a promise you can't keep. And I went off to war. I made it eight months without a scratch. No injury, close calls, I can't tell you how many times. In fact, the more close calls, the less I believed I was going to be killed. I already believed I might just make it through this war until right near the end of the eighth month, I started feeling like 
I've got too much blood on my hands. I don't want to go home. I don't want to be the man that I came over here. I don't want to be the man I thought I was. I don't even want to live another day. I wasn't suicidal. I wanted somebody else to kill me instead of me kill myself. And I volunteered for every dangerous mission that we could be sent on. And only three of us were sent on those missions. My commanding officer, myself as a machine gunner, and a sniper. And we went into places I'm not even gonna tell you, doing what I'm not gonna tell you, but I will tell you this. I had every reason to never come back. Not only the reason that I put myself at risk, but the reason that the risk I put myself at was for the wrong reason. I wasn't there to fight for my country anymore. I was there to die for my country. And on July the 23rd, 1969, I took my first injury. That tells you there's more to come. It was three days later, after being off the river with patches and eye patch, because steel went through the corner of my eye, they extracted it, but there was no one to replace me as on my riverboat. And on the third day, they took the patch off. They made sure there was no infection. They put me back on the river. Where did I go? To the exact same place three days earlier. I'd taken that first hit. We had to do what's called intelligence reports. And that intelligence report was the dumbest thing I could ever do, to go back. They booby-trapped bodies. They booby-trapped every pathway you, they think you'd walk. They know you're coming back to find out how many you killed, what weapons were used, how many people in the total group, what direction to travel, anything you could discover about them. Well, the more, the closer I got, I had this feeling something was not right as we went back. I beached the boat on the bank of the river. I could tell, I don't know, there's no, I couldn't see them, hear them, smell them, but I, I could tell they were there. I reached down and I picked up a white phosphorus hand grenade that burns at 5,000 degree Fahrenheit. I pulled the pin and I drew it back to throw it. It was just inches from my right ear when not knowing I was in the crosshairs of a sniper, I was more vulnerable than I was three days earlier. He pulled the trigger shooting at my head, but my hand got in the way and the grenade was hit by that bullet that compromised the casing. Just a quick word in chemistry. White phosphorus does not need a fuse. It doesn't have to have a match. It doesn't have to have a, a trigger. If oxygen or air and white phosphorus come together, the white phosphorus explodes. It's that unstable, just air. Well, when that bullet hit, that, that grenade exploded. And when it did, it blew right here. That's why this side of my face, everything not covered was blown off to the bone, burned. You could crack off all these pieces that instantly became charcoal. I went blind in that eye, deaf in the ear, which I'm glad to tell you my, my sight and hearing back. Uh, about two months ago, I went in and they took all the scar tissue off my right eye. Vance, they took it, I can see out of both eyes. I just wear glasses to keep the wind off my eyes. And uh, I have to have a little help for things that are closer, but I can still read even that close. I, the, the little reading glass helps. I got my vision back. I got my hearing back. All these things I mentioned earlier, my hair, my, my hair, all that, what I got back, I should never have even got a life back. That day, I should have been consumed by that fire. When I looked down, I could see my heart beating. My back was on fire, skin dripping off my arms. This thumb was gone. They made that out of my hip. 
Don't suck your hip. <laughs> I just thought I'd tell you that. This hand, as I described, the fingers and thumb were hanging by tendons. I was pumping blood out of an open artery. The phosphorus that was consuming my body got down in that bullet hole and sealed off that artery, cauterized it. And the thing that was killing me was now saving my life from hemorrhaging to death. You talk about a contradictory, confusing world. The only pain I've ever known in my life greater than the injury as a whole is losing my wife. That's the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. I'd rather go through 10 Vietnams than losing Brenda even once. So my day in Vietnam, now in the light reflecting, wasn't really all that bad. But as the story progresses, you'll understand how desperate I was. When I saw the damage, I jumped off the boat into the water. Phosphorus burns in water. I swam across that river. My skin was everywhere around me. I was beside myself. <laughs> Did you get it? I needed to pull myself together. <laughs> there was no Dame Bramage. Now, why did I tell you that? Just to see if you were listening. And if you got that, you were listening, and you did. I crawled up on the bank of the river, and when I realized what had happened, I couldn't even see my face, but I remembered when the grenade blew, I looked down, and my face on my boot, I knew it, my face was blown off. When I fell over backwards, gravity pulled that phosphorus deep into my body. One hole burned all the way through my throat, and just in time, because right below the vocal cords, that hole went through like a trach, they call it tracheotomy. I began to breathe through my chest when my tongue having, I had literal tongues of fire. My tongue swelled in my mouth and I could barely squeak out a word. Not only could I not get it through very well, I still got a few words out, but the hole in my chest let most of the air out. And what were my first words? Are you ready for this? When I surfaced, I yelled out, God, I still believe in you. That's an exact verbatim quote. Three guys on my boat heard me say it. There were four of us on the boat. They called me Dudley Do-Right because I wouldn't go to town with the girls. Dudley Do-Little, I wouldn't drink with them and get drunk every night. They got, I never, I can't stand the smell of much less taste of alcohol. They called me Preacher Man. The third guy called me Preacher Man. I called them Pervert Number One, Pervert Number Two, and Pervert Number Three. And that's how it got along. Preacher Man and the Three Perverts. Sounds like a gospel rock and roll band, doesn't it? <laughs> that day when I fell over backwards, they thought I died. It went all the way to the Pentagon through my chain of command that I was KIA because they had a body. I didn't go down with a boat. I had a, they had a body. It only took 34 years for them to figure out that I weren't dead yet. And on the 34th year, the Navy sent out a Navy SEAL with all the medals that I'd never seen. I wore a couple of them today in honor of the 13 that gave their lives in Afghanistan recently to remind all of us freedom is not free, and we will never be able to repay those families, much less those that gave their lives for the sacrifice for the freedom we're enjoying in this room. But we will never forget. Never. And helicopter landed, picked me up. They rolled me on the stretcher. I was still burning. 
stretcher caught fire, ripped open. I fell through on my head. You ever have one of those days? <laughs> Nothing goes right. They rolled me up in wet blankets, got me on another stretcher, and away we go, and the medic thinks I'm dead. And when the pain hit me in full force, I was in shock until that moment. And when that pain hit me, I was unprepared. Listen, from the explosion until I'm in the helicopter, I didn't feel any pain. And that shock wore off, and I yelled, medic, and it just squeaked out because most of it went through my chest. Medic. He scared him so bad he almost jumped out of the helicopter. The pilot, this is not a joke. He, I think he lost control. Spinning, dropping. I thought, oh, Lord, we're going to crash. I'll be the only survivor. Well, they got me to Saigon. There was another stop in between, still trying to get the fire out, digging it out. I'll throw this in for time's sake. I have to be careful. I don't want to keep you too long. But two weeks after I was injured, I'll tell you what that phosphorus is like. Two weeks after I was injured, at Brook Army Medical Center, San Antonio, Texas, they opened me up to do surgery. When they cut in, I caught fire again because the phosphorus only needed oxygen. And some of it was blown in so deep so quickly, it didn't have time to spontaneously combust. But in the operating room, with all that raw, pure oxygen, that I burst into flames. They, I should have blown the hospital wide open. I said, Doc, what'd y'all do? They said, we ran for our lives. I said, no, what'd y'all do with me? They said, well, we left you there. I said, you ought to be veterinarians because you're chicken doctors. <laughs> I was so bad. Anyway. And they got me to Saigon, did emergency surgeries, and wrapped me up, put me on a big hospital jet, and sent me to Japan to die. They didn't want me dying in Vietnam. Then you become a statistic of killed in action, even though the chain of command already got that. The medical team knew I wasn't dead. They didn't know I was listed killed in action. All they knew was they got a body here still breathing with a little bit of a heartbeat, and they didn't want me dying in Vietnam. Then I show up on the Walter Cronkite. Count the dead. Bring out the dead. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Even then, the media was our worst enemy. And I hope you heard what I just said. I didn't fight and give my life for freedom of speech to be destroyed by journalists that don't have sense enough to know how to tell the truth without a slant. I'm angry at them all. I don't care which side of the fence you think they're on. So that day, they sent me to Japan, and I asked for a mirror. That was dumb. And they brought one, and that was dumb. They should never have done it. And they held it over my face. And with this eye, I could still see, and I looked up. And I knew. There wasn't a teenage wife on the face of the earth could love a husband that looked like a freaking monster. No movie has ever created an image that horrible. And they walked away in the mirror. They took with them my hope. And when they were all gone, I took it out of God's hands. Are you listening to me, kids? Don't take anything out of God's hands. I decided I would take my life because I didn't want her to see me. Y'all going to have to do something about this carpet. This thing's killing me. <laughs> I took it out of my doctor's hands. 
And I just, I'd take my life. And I didn't have a gun or a knife. All I had was that tube. And I knew that it was keeping me alive. And I pulled that tube out. I laid my head back. I even folded what was left in my hands and I waited to die. And I waited. And I waited. And I got hungry. <laughs> it was the wrong tube. <laughs> I'll pull lunch. And you can die that way, but it's going to take a while. That wasn't my life dripping on the floor. That was my lunch. And if you smell a pizza or a hamburger, you're singing, plug it in, plug it in. You don't want to die. Look at me. Teenagers, listen to me. Suicide is not your solution. Parents, listen to me. Suicide is not your solution. Jesus is still the answer, and he will give you the tomorrow you thought you didn't have. And the angel of the Lord misguided my hand so I couldn't hurt myself. I was lost in a world of confusion, of major drug pain medicine, and an image of what I thought I was and found out I wasn't. Are you getting that message? How many of us think we're something that we know in our heart of hearts we're really not? And that can be both ways. So here's the answer. They chewed me out and made new holes in me that I could put orifices and tubes in. I mean, they were so mad at me. And to punish me, they sent me to America. I was supposed to die there, and my wife was already had a ticket to come be with me, to escort my dead body home. But I knew if I pulled that tube, they would never open the casket. She would never see my tortured, devastated, horrible remains, and she would never know I broke the promise that I'd come back without a scar. And they sent me home. And in conclusion, I want to tell you that what happened. Because this, my friend, is where grace is greater than our sin. Grace is greater than our pain. Grace is greater than our sorrow. That's why even today I may miss Brenda with all my heart, but I'm happy in the Lord. I'm happy doing what he called me to do before he ever called me to be a husband to Brenda. He called me to preach the gospel. So I just went back to my first love. And that's the secret of success. Never forget your calling, your purpose, and your passion. So they wrapped me up and sent me to America, put me at Brook Army Medical Center, San Antonio, Texas. I was there one year and two months for my initial stay. As I mentioned, now over 50 years later, I'm still a patient. They'll probably try to cut on me some more. Actually, they offered me the face of another guy. When they did operation number 50 and I got the nose and the, and the eyelids and the, and, the, and the lips, they offered me the face of a cadaver. I looked, he's uglier than me. I said, what happened to him? What happened to his mother? He's ugly. So I kept my own face. They made all these things off my own body parts, which is a whole other story, and I'm not going to tell it this morning because some of it's pretty gross. But in the, in the beginning, they got me to America. They put me in a tank called debridement. Now, I'm going to push the pause button right there, and I'm going to move to the next event and then come back to this first one, okay? Keep that in mind. The next event was they put me in a room called the ICU. Thirteen of us, 
We were nicknamed the Baker's Dozen, 13 of us, all expected to die. There have been written 12 obituaries before I ever left that hospital. I'm the sole survivor. The 13th obituary has not been written. And the way things are looking, folks, it may never be written. If you're listening, if you have ears to hear, hear what I just said. Don't ever forget Jesus made the promise, I will come back again. Remember? How many of you believe he's coming back again? Say amen. Amen. They put me in there with all 13 of us, and they let visitors come in one at a time. And when the visitor came to see the guy in the bed next to mine, now I'm the next, but this is the guy before me. It was his wife. She came in. He was 100% third degree. We're in the ICU, which I didn't know what an ICU was. Everybody knows that, what one is. I didn't. I'd never been in one. And uh, I thought, you know, when they stood me up about the fourth or fifth month, they put this robe on me, and it didn't come together in the back. It's, they call it the ICU. <laughs> I looked over my shoulder in the mirror. I saw me too. <laughs> That's when I discovered what they mean in the army by the draft. <laughs> <laughs> and they let Brenda come in next. That woman, by the way, that came to her husband in the bed next to mine, she took off her wedding ring and threw it on his bed. She said, you're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street with you. And she turned and walked right out that door. I thought, oh, God, why didn't you let me die in Japan? Why didn't you let me die on that riverbank in Vietnam? Why does she have to see this? And I couldn't figure out which tube to pull. They're not labeled suicide tube, food tube, coffee tube, cream tube. Uh, and it was too late to pull the tube. She's standing at my bed. She said, Doc, this isn't Dave, and my heart just stopped. I'm certain it stopped. It broke, and it, it wept. I thought, she's not going to love me, and I, I'm done. I don't even like to say the word done, and I even worry about going to heaven. Well done. When you're burned, you want to be medium, medium rare, but you don't want to be well done. I was done. I said, oh, God, she's, she can't take this. He moved her up to the head of the bed, and she looked into my eyes. And the, someone said, the eyes are the window of the soul. You ever heard that? She looked in this eye. I guess she identified some furniture in this house. Something made her realize it was me, even though it was totally, completely unrecognizable. When your head is swollen to the width of your shoulder and the other half is charcoal, you're not recognizable, folks. Why would a teenage girl still love me. I knew it was over. She said, Doc, this is Dave. And then she bent down and kissed what was left of my face. And she said, I just want you to know I really love you. Welcome home, Davey. And when she calls me Davey, <laughs> I said, Doc, I'm getting better. He said, no, you're not. You're not leaving here. I said, baby, I'm sorry. She said, why? I said, I've made a promise I can't keep. I can never look good for you again. She said, baby, you never were good looking. <laughs> well, listen to you. Y'all you, are cold. 
We both laughed. I left that hospital with a suitcase in one hand and a sweetheart in the other. And our marriage endured kids because we built it on the solid rock, Jesus Christ. I'm living example of what I preach. They don't call me all over the world through the Department of Defense today as a resiliency trainer in the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program. And as a contractor with DOD, they don't call me because I'm good looking. I'm getting better, but I'm not there yet. You know, they say, Dave, you're looking good. But nobody ever says, Dave, you're good looking. Boy, there's a big difference. <laughs> they don't call me for my mighty physical military strength. I have to sit down just to talk. They don't call me for my intellect. I was in the top 10% of the lower one-third of my class. I majored in math, and I studied fractions, and I found out five out of four people don't understand fractions. And if you didn't understand that, you were in my class. Why do they call me? Because I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And no weapon formed against me can prosper. And put, take me out and put you in there. The same Jesus that loves me loves you just the same. I'm no greater. In fact, with blood on my hands, he loves you much more. And he always will. But we're going to the same place. And I want to tell you that closing first event I started to tell you. When they got me into the what they call the debridement room of the burn center at Brook Army Medical Center. That debridement room we nicknamed hell. Debridement is much worse than being burned. I hope you just heard what I said. You can burn me, shoot me, anything, but don't ever debreed me again. That's when they put you in a tank of water, splash water on you, which I thought felt good. I even, trying to be funny, I said, do I get rubber duckies? They didn't laugh. They knew what was coming. That water of that pure saline water in what's called the Hubble tank, about twice as big as a bathtub, and it, three doctors on each side, three doctors, nurses, medical assistants, reach over and they splash that water on you. Then they take knives and they fillet you. And they cut that burned, charred skin off you. And it drives you insane. They can't give you enough drugs to take the pain away. If they do, put you to sleep, and they have to do this twice a day, every day, for weeks until it's all gone from all over your body. Because if they don't, <laughs> it turns to gangrene. It becomes systemic, and it kills you. Your kidneys can't purify the blood that much, and you'll die of kidney failure. So they're splashing water, and they start in cutting. I went nuts. Only the back of my head and back of my heels were in that water. It's only about that deep. And, and then your body displacement, when you're laying up, bring the water up to about here. Well, my head went back and my ankle, my feet, my heels were under me. And I bowed up in unspeakable pain. And I reached up with these four fingers that were still strong. Even though my thumb was gone, those four fingers were strong. The day of my injury, July 26th, that morning, I weighed. I was in competition with some SEALs in weightlifting. I was in the peak of health, 190 pounds. That night, I weighed 130 pounds. 60 pounds of flesh was blown off me. I kept both arms and legs. 
I reached up and I grabbed her by the hair with strong fingers that had not anthropied. I flipped her over the tank. Her hair was just a little bit longer than the others. When I flipped her into that tank, I put her head down in the water, trying to kill her because I thought she was trying to kill me. And I reverted back to training to defend myself no matter what, fight for your life. I had her head in that water. Well, she was never at risk. Five other attendants right there had her out of that tank. But whenever I looked up, my skin was all in her hair. Her white uniform was pink. I have pictures of all this. There are pictures to prove everything I'm saying to you. When I saw what I had done, I was so embarrassed. They said, he's had enough, and I repeated, he's had enough. They lifted me out and put me on a stretcher. And on that gurney, as they're pushing me down to that ICU that we now nicknamed Death Row. You get it? We went from hell to death row. From death row to hell to death row to hell. Two times a day, every day. Whenever they were pushing me back, the medic, he made a huge error. He said, as we're being pushed, and it had a wobbly wheel on that gurney, sound like a Walmart shopping cart. And that noisy wheel was making me angry. Jostling made me angry. Everything hurt. He said, in the morning at 8.30, I'm going to come pick you up, and we're going to do this again. Why do you have to tell me that? I looked at him, and I said, no, you're not. He said, yeah, yeah, we have to. I said, no, you're not. I said, you're never going to hurt me like this again. He said, why? I said, because you and the entire army is not big enough to put me back in that tank. You see, folks, I wasn't through with my self-destructing mode. My hope had not yet been restored that I lost in Japan when I looked in that mirror. I was a danger to myself. He said, if I don't put you back in that tank, you're going to die. I didn't want to hear that. I said, well... Now I'm not going to sleep all night because I'll have anxiety attacks knowing 8.30 in the morning you come to get me. They got me up to that bed in the death row intensive care unit, and they put the bed, the gurney by my bed. They forgot to lock the wheels. And when they got on each end to swing me over onto the gurney, it separated. I threw my elbows out, and I held the head end together, but the feet end separated and I fell right through on my feet, hit, and when I hit, it jarred my body. I couldn't, as bad of a dude as I wanted to be, as strong as I thought, I let out a yell of pain. And I'm still holding onto the gurney, it's starting to slip, and I'm about to fall through, and my life would take another change. He was six foot seven, I would guess. That's big. 350 pounds of solid muscle. Most perfect human specimen I think I'd ever seen. When he moved, cannonballs popped up on his chest and shoulders and arms. He was bald. He was black. And his name was Rosie. <laughs> Jesus is my witness. As God's, well, I am not lying. His name was Rosie. And it was tattooed on his arm right there. Rosie. He put one arm under the back of my head, and I knew he's helping me. He's going to catch me from the fall. And as he was holding me with one arm that was like a forklift, he reached down with the other and picked me up like I was a featherweight. He held me in his arms. When he turned, I thought he was going to put me on the gurney. 
No gurney for Rosie. He carried me all the way down that long corridor to the place we called hell. Went over and lowered me into that pit, that tank, and they tore into my skin. I bowed up, and before I was just about to pass out, they called Rosie. When he lowered me in that tank, let me tell you what he did. He stepped backwards, folded his arms, backpedaled up against the wall, leaned against it, and as the morning sun came up through that window, it cast its golden hue on his beautiful ebony skin, and down, those, down that skin rolled tears, leaving little streams of water reflecting that golden sunrise. It looked like fire. And as it passed those lips, I noticed they were moving. Rosie was praying for me. He was praying for me. It gave me strength just to know somebody was there that cared and prayed and loved me enough to, to just show up. They said, Rosie, he's had enough. I said, yes, he has. And Rosie picked me up again, no gurney. He carried me all the way down that long corridor back to death row. And as he lowered me into my air mattress, he pressed against the air mattress and pulled those forklifts out, not touching my raw, tortured flesh. He turned and he faced me. And I looked up into the eyes of a man I'd never seen, those auburn eyes that somehow seemed to have the reflection of the sun, the moon, the stars, Jupiter, Mars, who is this man? He bit down and he did something I've never let a man do. He kissed my forehead and he said it again, what he had said five or six times carrying me down there. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. Every step from hell to death row as he carried me. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. Then he turned and walked away. I'm almost through. Just give me another minute because you got to hear the rest of the story. Fast forward 20 years to the great state of Oregon, Air National Guard, 4th of July event at Redmond Airport. 20,000 people came to hear me speak that day. When I finished, a woman walked up, very fine, beautiful lady, haircut with a little bit of salt and pepper, they call it about 10, 12 years older than me. Business suit, I can describe her to a T. You're Dave, she said with a question. I said, yes, I am thinking she was in the back of the crowd 30 years ago, 20 years after I was injured, 30 years ago, there weren't big screen TVs. I'm thinking she just wanted to identify the speaker. She said, your real name's David. Dave is a nickname, I'm thinking. Yeah, it's not Bartholomew. She said, but that's your middle name now. That got my attention. Even you didn't know that. She said, your first name's Milton. I said, yes. She said, you're Milton, David? I said, yes. She said, I thought it was you, but I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. I'm the nurse that you dragged into the tank. I recommend you don't go to Sunday school with your nurse. Very revealing. I said, ma'am, do you remember a guy named Rosie? It's like I tapped her on the head with a two-by-four. She staggered, blinked, came out of a trance. It looked like, I haven't thought of him in years. I said, do you remember his real name? She said, all I remember is that tattoo. Yes, I said, that's him, Rosie. She said, yeah, I don't know where he is. I said, do you know where he came from? Maybe he's there. She said, I don't know. I said, when did he come to Brook Army Medical Center, Burnward? 
She said, when you did. I said, when did he leave? She said, when you left. All my religious friends say he was an angel. Maybe so. Probably is. But I hope not. And there's a couple of things that may contradict the angel view. For one, do angels have tattoos? <laughs> Number two, angels have to be white like me. So here's what I came down to. If he's an angel, fine, doesn't make me holy or unholy. It's just an angel on assignment doing what God said him to do. What if he's a man on a mission? He didn't have to do that. What would make this man catch me falling through the cracks of life and carry me where I couldn't go on my own? Love me when I hated myself. Speak words of encouragement when I was incorrigible. What would make this man do what he did? It's because he loved and expected nothing back. He gave himself and expecting nothing in return. He didn't care what rank I was, and when you're burned, you're pretty rank, I'll tell you that. You can stink up a hospital. He didn't care what branch of service I served in, and he didn't care what color I was. He just saw a man hurting, and he carried me where I could not go on my own. So here's my message to you today in Harrison, Arkansas. Be a rosy to somebody today. Love them when they hate themselves. Be strong when they're weak. Encourage them with, get off your stretcher, get back on the horse, you're not dead yet, you still got something to give. Let's live out our lives in victory, not in defeat. Give words of encouragement. Inspiring oratory. Comfort those which need to be comforted with the comfort wherewith ye are comforted. In sign language, that means I love you. I speak sign language with a lisp, but my fingers are blown up. I love you. I have a little short video I'd like to show you. It only lasts about three and a half minutes. You got that much time? This will show you the things that I'm involved in today. This is me being a rosy, if I can, to anybody. I just came straight from the ranch you're about to see pictures of in Colorado with a lodge filled with couples going through divorce, separation, and need encouragement. Every one of them renewed their vows, not before last, to restore their marriage. We are successful with our military 100%. This is what we do. You'll see the ranches we built, one in Texas, one in Colorado. You'll see the places downrange in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, United Arab Emirates, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Bosnia, Kosovo, North Africa, South Korea, Japan, Okinawa. All the places they send me today to work with our troops to save the lives of a soldier, man or woman, that's at the brink of staring too long into the darkness before the darkness stares back into them. I'm a suicide prevention counselor because I want to be a rosy to those who gave themselves for me. I've carried them home, and you'll see in this video. I've carried them home in C-130s, lined up what we call caskets. They call transfer cases draped with beautiful American flags. Grinding out the night at 29,000 feet, looking 
at those caskets saying to myself, which one has the next Billy Graham that was to be? Which nurse at Balad that was killed by that rocket attack would have been the next Mother Teresa? You see, we'll never know this side of heaven the true cost of freedom. It torments me to this day that anyone would show disrespect to those who give and have given everything for our freedom. This little video is called The Angel Flight Home. Would you please roll that for me? Bravo 03, gear down 5 miles, we have a hero on board tonight. 
flight Bravo Zero Two, you are number one for landing. Welcome home. We have had since 07, took three years to build the first ranch. We've had over 6,000 troops come through our program broken, hopeless, to restore them back to family, friends, and faith. What you just saw is just a tiny little portion of it. That angel fly at home, you can't do anything for them there, it's already done. It's those of us that remain. How do we deal with it? And I've got a question beyond that. There's another Angel flight coming. Do you have a ticket to board that plane? You know what I'm talking about? Say amen. amen. Do you have a ticket? And the day that ticket's punched, you'll come home as a hero to the arms of God, and there'll be family, friends, and angelic hosts waiting for you. But until that moment, the question remains, are you ready? Can you imagine going to war with a gun you don't know how to fire, to clean, to load, and yet when you come to the end of your life, expect to have some kind of success story to write? We're being trained for a world yet to come, and if you're not ready, I'd love to get you ready right now, all right? Here's what I'm going to do. <clears throat> like we did last week, not before last, renew our vows. Let me simply lead a prayer and everyone in this room that knows Christ let's renew our vows okay pretty good idea if you are not walking with him you know you're at odds you know he is not Lord of your life don't I'm not going to embarrass you I'm going to ask you to do as, as we renew our vows as though it's our first time the Bible says return to your first love why don't you make your vows to your first and forever love in Jesus Christ all right would you do that with me? Pray this same prayer. And let's make a difference in eternity from Harrison, Arkansas. Pray it out loud with me. Please don't be ashamed. Young people, would you help me lead the way? I need some voices. All right, here we go. Lord Jesus, thank you. You hear me when I pray. This is my prayer, Lord. Forgive me of all my sins. They are many and varied, and I'm truly sorry. But I'm more than sorry. I'm willing to change, so I repent. And today I give you the broken pieces of my broken life. Take what I am, who I am, and where I am. Make me what I ought to be, who I ought to be, for such a time as this. So today I declare. I was a sinner. But by the blood of Jesus. Shed for me. And him risen from the dead. I declare. I'm born again. I receive him. Who gave himself for me. Then he gave himself to me. I am a follower of Jesus Christ from this day forward. And if I should fall, 
but I'm not going to. But I'm just saying, if I did fall, and I'm not making excuses for the future, but if I did fall, even though I won't, but if I did, I have an advocate, a lawyer in heaven who will stand for me because he gave himself to me and I give myself to him. In the name of Jesus, amen. Give the Lord a clap on <laughs> Hallelujah. Welcome home. <laughs> if you prayed that prayer, don't get out of this building till you, some, till you share with somebody that you prayed that prayer and made that faithful step of getting your ticket to ride the angel flight home. Tell somebody what Jesus did for you. Thanks for letting me share this time together. I do want you to know, and this will be real quick because it's not why I came, but some of you might be interested. Let me preface by telling you, I take no royalties. I take no sales percentages. I get zero, absolutely nothing out of the sales. Everything that comes in goes to pay for our warriors to be able to come to those ranches that just, they just left the day before yesterday from the one in Colorado. We're finishing up the last finishing touches of construction at the ranch in Texas, and it's back in business again. It's our third development, stage of development and growth. These ranches are amazing. You help support the ranches, but better than that, you pay for scholarships for the healing in the lives of our warriors. I do not take my own salary most of the time. I think you should know that. I do not take any percentages. You've got to know that. So this is not about me. It's about our warriors. If you'd like to have a full presentation of my story on video from a great church, my pastor friend, and I go to him every other year, Robert Morse at Gateway Church in Fort Worth, Dallas. That's available to you there. And a book called War and Recovery, which is a compilation of short stories. You can almost read it like a devotional. It's filled with amazing stories from the battlefield to the mission field, from tragedy to triumph. Every story has a powerful scripture to support that into your life. You don't have to go to war to get hurt. I went to war, got hurt, came home with a purple heart. Some of you went to divorce court, came home with a broken heart and a broken washer and the ex got the dryer and it works. Life's not fair, is it? That's what that book is all about. Another book called Scarred. It's the autobiography, the story of my life from childhood, upgraded through all the work I do for Department of Defense today. Pictures galore of some of the places you'll find fascinating, see things you've never seen out of the war zone. Stories you'll never hear from anyone else. This is the story of Dave Reaver and the power of Jesus Christ. You look at this bottle. You see that bottle? If I sat here and said, whoa, what a great bottle. Isn't that a great bottle? It'd be meaningless. That's just plastic. It's what's inside that counts. Amen? Stay with me a second. It's what I bring. It's not me. It's what's in me. It's what's in you that you take as rosy. It's not the container. But without it, how does the water get there? You got it? So that's what those books are about. And then one more item. Sweetheart in the red and white shirt with a beautiful. Would you come here a minute? You be my Vanna White. Would you hand me that, darling? By the way, you are as pretty as a picture. You are gorgeous. Stand by a second. Turn that around for me. Show back. Operation Warrior Reconnect, our logo of the warrior with his darling wife and their two babies. 
These shirts are available back there. Now listen to me. If we don't have your size, if you'll trust me, I go home today after service for my first time home in a month. I'll turn your order in tomorrow. Your shirt will be shipped in the size you want if we don't have it. That shirt is an amazing billboard of what we do, but it's also fun to wear if you like green. No, I'm kidding. Thank you. And one more thing, darling. Hold that up for me. On the back, it's called Catch 22. That card has the listing of an amazing tool. Listen to it carefully. There's a bracelet with 22 lava beads. Today, this Sunday, 22 veterans will commit suicide. Tomorrow morning to midnight, on an average, 22 veterans will commit suicide. Tuesday, 22 veterans will commit suicide. This has to stop. I will do everything in my power to stop it. That's why I do these ranches. That's why I travel all over the world with our active duty to prepare them for the difficulty that's coming. They thought war was hell. They don't know what's coming. I've got to help them. This little card with 22 beads has a bracelet, but there's a little bottle of orange oil. I call it snake oil first time I heard it. It's not. It's oil of orange. On that card is listed from George Washington University, the trial and fulfillment of a, an amazing test. Orange oil is soothing to the mind of post-traumatic stress disorder. God gave us herbs for a lot of reasons. I didn't know it worked, but wait till you hear the testimonials. If you'd like to get one of those beads, one of those bracelets with that oil, and give it to somebody struggling. That oil, women have been using all these oils and these things that stink up the house. My wife did it. This stuff has an impact. Read the study. If you're interested, you can get one today. It's fun to wear because when people say, what's that? You tell them, that's my prayer bead, even though we're not Catholic or Muslim. Tell them, that's my prayer bead to remember to pray for our veterans of the United States military who are dying at 22 a day. Thank you, daughter, for your help. And you are more beautiful than Vanna White. Thank you. It's been a joy. Oh, by the way, you can get, use a credit card for that. Now, listen, pastor's coming. It's coming up on 12. I want to be through by 12, not midnight. I know you were thinking that. When you buy these materials, you can use your credit card. As you give a love offering, he mentioned, here's what you need to know. I've said it two times, now the third. I don't get the money. Number two, you will help me pay for last week, which cost me 30 thousand dollars to put those warriors through our program we pay for round trip airfare everything they don't pay for one penny we bring the whole family in mama daddy all the kids as many as they got round trip airfare we pay for everything when you're giving this offering you're helping me pay for last week and you're helping me pay for the next session that's coming up i need your support if you give i don't know i don't know who's in this crowd if you give a gift of $1,000 or more, up to and including $100,000, that sounds impossible. If you give a gift of $1,000 more from an individual or a company, not collective giving, I wish it was, banker insurance, and there's a man and his wife on the front row who I'm talking about. Banker insurance, Al Banker, matches every penny from $1,000 and up. And he's done the $100,000 nine times. Does that tell you the man's got some money? 
He's my sugar daddy. You pray for him. That man supports us and doubles your gift if you can give a thousand or more. And you're welcome to do that at my table on your credit card. Most people don't carry that kind of money. The church has the means to give. If you're already part of our contribution donors, you're welcome to give at the table and the number will be applied and you'll get your tax receipt. Even if you're not a member and you want to give on your credit card, we'll send you a tax credit. The reason I'm saying that is pastor will get a review of every gift above sales, every gift or donation at that table. Nothing will be done in this church that he's not aware of. I'm totally submitted to my four-star general, Pastor Herring. I salute you in the name of the Lord. I'm Dave Reaver, and I approve of this message.